0: Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Ah, Perfect. Got everything regarding the tickets all worked out.
1: Good. Now sit down and let's eat dinner. It's getting cold.
0: You're right. Sorry about that. Did I miss the entree?
1: No, they just brought the first course.
0: Perfect. I'm excited to try this uh, lettuce soup. I love the prefix menu here at Pigalle's. I always try something new.
1: Let me know how it tastes. It looks interesting.
0: I will as long as you let me know how your watermelon soup is. It's a deal. Well, let's dig in. We don't want to be late for the show tonight. It's an early curtain being on a Thursday.
1: Bon Appetit! Hi everyone, and welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host,
0: Andrew Cortez. Today, we are going to be discussing the Disney production, The Little Mermaid.
1: So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting.
0: Hello everyone, and welcome into Stage Whisper. Look at this stuff, isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think our collection's complete? That's right. Today we are diving into the Broadway show, The Little Mermaid. This was the fourth show from the minds of Disney Productions to grace the Great White Way. But first, let's set sail to the origins of our journey.
1: The show itself is based on the 1989 Disney animated film of the same name. And the original story comes from the classic tale by Hans Christian Andersen.
0: Before we continue with some early information on the show let's discuss the design team the set was by george tispin costumes by tatiana uh, noganova lights by natasha Katz, sound by john h shivers hair by david brian brown and makeup by angelina avalon
1: the music was by alan menken lyrics by howard ashman book by doug wright choreography by stephen meer and directed by Francesca Zambello.
0: One of the hardest parts to overcome was how to do the water. Zambello was brought in because of her experience with fantasy elements. They made the decision that there would be no water, wires, or flying in the production.
1: To create the underwater feel on stage, Zambello asked her design team to use translucent materials to create abstract shapes and manipulate the light to give a watery illusion.
0: Choreographer Stephen Meir had the actors wear myrrh blades or heelys to create the fluid underwater motion. Sierra Bodges was an ice skater, and so skating and performing came naturally.
1: Doug Wright was brought on to focus the story on Ariel's longing for a world in which she feels truly realized by her own terms.
0: The show started its journey to Broadway in Denver, Colorado, where it played a six-week preview run.
1: The show then moved to the Lundfontein Theater, where it opened on January 10, 2008. It would play 685 performances until closing on August 30, 2009.
0: The show would be nominated for two Tony Awards that year, Best Lighting Design and Best Original Score.
1: So, let's take the plunge into the story itself. nautical pilot Prince Eric and his advisor Grimsby are aboard a ship with their crew discussing the mythical merfolk that live under the sea. Grimsby is trying to sway Eric to return to court and fill his birthright as king. However, just at that moment, Eric hears a beautiful voice and commands it to be followed.
0: Deep below the surface, near the ocean floor, the merfolk of the kingdom are gathering for a concert in honor of a thwarted coup d'etat by the evil sea witch Ursula. The concert is being performed by King Triton's daughters. The court composer, Sebastian the Crab, has composed a song for the girls to perform.
1: The concert is brought to a halt when the youngest daughter, Ariel, is not there for her solo. Ariel, in fact has completely forgotten about the concert and is swimming around the surface admiring a new item for her collection, a fork. She reveals that she is fascinated with the human world.
0: Together with her best friend Flounder, Ariel visits Scuttle and his fellow seagulls to ask about the human things she's collected and he explains them somewhat erroneously.
1: Elsewhere, Ursula is seeking revenge against her brother King Triton. She was banished from the palace for using black magic. She tells her minions, Flotsam and Jetsam, to keep an eye on Ariel, whom she thinks will be the key to getting the crown and the trident.
0: When Ariel returns home, King Triton is angered to learn that she has been on the surface and reprimands her. King Triton does not trust humans because they are savage fish eaters. Ariel rushes off, distraught, and King Triton assigns Sebastian to watch her to make sure she doesn't get into trouble.
1: Alone in her grotto, surrounded by her collection of human things, Ariel imagines living on the land with the humans. Flounder wakes her from her daydream to go meet Scuttle near the surface to see Prince Eric's ship up close.
0: On board, Grimsby tells Eric that he needs to find a bride and take his place as king. Suddenly, a storm hits and Eric is tossed overboard. Ariel saves him from drowning and drags him to shore. Ariel has fallen in love at first sight with him and vows to find a way to be with him.
1: After she leaves Eric on the beach safely, she returns home. Her sisters notice her behavior is different, and they, along with Flounder, suspect she has fallen in love.
0: Meanwhile, on land, Eric is determined to find the woman who saved his life, but the only clue he has is her voice.
1: Sebastian reveals to King Triton that Ariel has saved a human from the storm triton angrily confronts her about her actions he uncovers her grotto and uses his trident to destroy all of her human thing
0: once king triton is left sebastian tries to comfort ariel by pointing out the wonders of the undersea world she is disappointed with him still for telling her father about her she sneaks off with flounder during his song
1: away and on her own she is stopped by flotsam and jetsam who sweet talk her into seeking help from ursula She meets Ursula, who presents her with a deal. Ariel will be turned into a human for three days. During this time, she has to win the kiss of a true love from Eric. If she does, she will remain human. If not, her soul will belong to Ursula.
0: To seal the deal, Ariel must give up her voice, which will stay in Ursula's magic shell. Ariel signs the agreement and sings into the shell, after which she is transformed into a human and swims to the surface.
1: Act two starts with Sebastian and Flounder bring, uh, bringing Ariel in her human form to shore. Scuttle and the seagulls give her a pep talk to raise her spirits and get her used to her new legs.
0: Eric arrives, but when Ariel tries to talk to him, she cannot speak eric brings ariel back to his palace where carlotta the head mistress and maids bathe and dress ariel ariel is fascinated by the human world while the maids wonder why eric has brought such a girl to the palace
1: that night chef louis cooks dinner for ariel grimsby and eric and almost cooks sebastian for the grand finale eric and ariel spend time together during which eric teaches her to dance
0: meanwhile ursula is anxiously waiting for the three days to end and sends flotsam and jetsam to hurry things along
1: after a tour of the kingdom eric takes ariel on a quiet boat ride through a lagoon sebastian and scuttle watch anxiously and try to create a romantic atmosphere for eric to kiss ariel
0: as they are about to kiss flotsam and jetsam give the boat an electric shock scaring the animals away the two swim away gloating their success
1: as the second day ends ariel wishes she had more time and could tell eric everything at the same time triton worries about where his daughter has gone and vows to change if she were to return
0: sebastian is concerned that ariel's time as a human is almost up and eric still dreams of finding the girl who saved him even though he does not want to lose ariel sebastian returns to the sea and tells an angry king triton about ariel's deal with ursula
1: on the last day as a human grimsby has arranged for a contest for all foreign princesses to sing for eric so he may choose one for his bride eric isn't interested in any of them and ariel asks to participate by dancing for him eric picks her but before they can embrace ursula appears declaring that the sun has set and now ariel belongs to her
0: Flotsam and Jetsam grab Ariel to take her back to the sea. King Triton arrives to confront his sister, agreeing to take Ariel's place. Ursula claims the trident and declares herself queen.
1: She banishes Triton with a wave of the trident. During a battle with Eric's ship, Ariel grabs Ursula's shell and regains her voice. This causes a horrified Jetsam and Flotsam to swim away.
0: Ursula begs Ariel to return the shell to her, as her power is contained within it, and even tries to sweet-talk her into doing so, saying she can turn her human again and reunite her with her prince.
1: Ariel is torn, but ultimately destroys the shell just in time, which destroys Ursula and restores King Trident to his throne and his
0: daughter. Eric and Ariel are reunited on the beach and eric asks king triton for his blessing to marry ariel king triton then says goodbye to his daughter triton declares peace between the humans and the merfolk
1: eric and ariel are married and sell away on his ship the The end.
0: end Under the sea. Yes. Under the sea.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) It's fun.
1: It's... It is fun. It's...
0: I think it was Disney's... After Beauty and the Beast, you know, that was the first animated show they put on the stage. I think it was Disney's real second gamble after Lion King. You know, Lion King's task was bringing the animal kingdom on stage. This was bringing the ocean kingdom on stage. And I think... You know, all things considered, they did a really good job.
1: Right. Well, but if we're going to talk about, you know, Disney shows, we have to talk about how after Lion King, then was Tarzan. Which where was they a did flop. Yes. And yeah. then The Little Mermaid, where they went under the sea.
0: Yeah. You know, um, I think between you, me, and The Wall, I think the next place that Disney really found a good solid footing um, but the show, a really successful show, wouldn't be until the next show, which was Mary Poppins. Little Mermaid, though, it was great. I mean, it wasn't a huge, huge success, but Mary Poppins was a great success. Um, and then after that, we had Aladdin and then Newsies. Yeah, it was like Newsies was a huge success. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm interested. And then Frozen. Frozen, um, yes. I can't wait to see what Disney does next. I, Hercules, anybody?
1: I know, I would love to
0: see Hercules. <laughs> Um, who knows, but we're focused on the little mermaid. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I remember us seeing the show as a matinee. Um, I remember being very tired and that's not the show's fault. That's my fault running ragged, but I do remember it just being fun. Mm-hmm. um i hadn't seen the film in a long long time so there were a few parts where i was like i'm drawing blanks but i do remember like iconic characters what they look like ursula obviously and Flotsam and jetsam and sebastian and flounder and all the gang you know and the <laughs> fact of the way they made everything look i was like yeah okay considering you weren't just going to create puppets like the lion king you weren't going to copy paste right. and i i don't know that just the way that they did it the way they portrayed it and it was done was clever and i knew exactly who was what it wasn't the 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 elements were not hindering
1: no if i really appreciated the elements i loved the translucent quality that everything had
0: let's let's go bit by bit but so let's start with the lighting i yeah. thought the lighting was great i liked that they added the element there there was a texture element so there was a lot of waviness to it even mm-hmm. in the light, I don't want to call it a gobo because I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a gobo. But there were actual like waves in the light to create that movement, that motion, mm-hmm. and that really helped to differentiate when between we were, when we were underwater and when, when we, we were on land. Yeah, um, which was real, which was a really cool effect without giving us like seasickness. You know, it just was enough of a. Almost like a vibration that we were like, oh, cool. We're in her grotto where she's, you know, which was like a giant conch shell kind of thing, you know. And then having that bounce off the set, which we'll get into with all those colors. Uh, that palette was just really delicious.
1: Yes. And it felt very, um, I mean, it felt wet. Yes. If that, if I've never, I, I really
0: haven't seen a palette like that in another show. And I don't think I've seen a show where that. Palette really belongs, but this, these colors and these shades were perfect for it. And the other thing that was cool in the lighting was the dichotomy between the different um, scenes. You know, when we were underwater, and it was everybody but Ursula's lair. It was this beautiful, warm Caribbean palette. Yeah, very corally, coral reef.
1: Um, And there were just tons of colors and textures
0: everywhere. Up above ground, it was very like. French. What's the word looking for? Uh,
1: very centropé. Yes, yes. I was like
0: central <laughs> What's the word from Drag Race? Centrepay. Very, you know. You know, very. Ball-y-ball. Yeah, very no. It just, yeah, it 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 really was. But then when we were in Ursula's lair, it was very blacks and purples mm-hmm. and neon greens. And one of the things I appreciated was mm-hmm. this like glow in the dark element they brought on, especially with Flotsam and Jetsam, and mm-hmm. even with Ursula and at her moment. tentacles. Yes, and there was just this. Uh, phosphorescent element to a lot of the set and the lights and I was like now this is cool because it's a complete contradiction but at the same time incorporating that palette mm-hmm. it's almost like a flip-flop and I really appreciated that and I was like okay there's there's you know kids are gonna go and see this and I'm like yay it's a common story if you're a lover of the theater or you like to analyze it you're looking at this and going This was not easy, like, all we have to do is throw up there with clever, recognizable songs and a story. But let's really go for the gold here. And Uh to me, that was great. I can see you wanting to move on to costumes. I can see it in your head. You just want to go (laughs) and you want to dig into those costumes. So
1: Listen, I absolutely adore the costumes. But more specifically, I love the wigs. Especially Ursula's. Because, I mean... hair does different things underwater than it does not. And so the fact that they were able to sculpt and move hair in such a way that it was believable as hair, but you still felt underwater. Like, just the movement that Ursula's wig had
0: Mm -hmm. was just They didn't copy-paste stuff from the film onto the characters, which I really appreciated. I mean... She didn't... Ursula didn't have that, like, angular cut bob... Kind of thing. Am I thinking of the right character? Ursula has this angular... In the cartoon?
1: It's not an angular cut bob. It's, um, Well, no, no. It
0: doesn't have, like, the... On the ends. Isn't it, like, triangular? Am I thinking right? No. Oh, well, I just thought her hair was, like, short in the movie.
1: It is short in the movie, but she's based on, um... Um, oh, my gosh. What is that? Drag queen.
0: Uh, oh, uh lady divine lady divine uh yes. my aunt and uncle listened to this they'd be proud they had a magnet of lady divine yes. on their fridge and i just grew up and i always saw that and my aunt and uncle who just they didn't hold anything back they told me everything and anything i wanted to know they were amazing people they are amazing people and they told me exactly who she was and what she did and yes i know who lady divine as well but anyway um I just love, yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry, Hope just pulled up a picture. That, sorry, that's what I meant by angular. Mm-hmm. That's not, but the, if you can imagine what her hair looked like in the film, and the picture I'm looking at almost looks like, you know, peaks of Cool Whip. That's not what her hair looked like in the show. She had almost this Medusa like. Uh, quality to it which I think and her
1: hair looked like tentacles but it also looked like hair floating in the water
0: well what I loved about this is we're dealing with King Triton and correct me if I'm wrong but King Triton this kind of ties back to Greek mythology a little bit right
1: yes because King Triton is the son of Poseidon
0: so the fact that Ursula has hair that looks like Medusa's or is reminiscent of Medusa is a really good tongue-in-cheek, clever, like someone's done their homework. This is a clever insert of knowing your theater and your theater history and kind of thing. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. That is
0: really smart design. That's something that I don't think most people are going to notice or appreciate. They're going to look at it and be like, oh, that's cool. That's clever. We're going to look at it and be like, wow, that's, that's really smart, you know?
1: Yes. Well, and the other thing that I really appreciated that they did is they kept... Um, Ariel's swoop because that bang swoop thing in her hair in the water Mm -hmm. is literally like goals for every person who loves hair who watched The Little Mermaid.
0: And I also liked uh, Flounder always had uh, the top of his hair bleached. Mm -hmm. All the Flanders had that like stripe that goes down. Yep. The costumes, they all just connected. They all just made sense. They they weren't a... um, literal slap you in the face um you know what am i looking for it's not a slap you in the face this is exactly who i am but it's enough of a stretch that we know who it is scuttle um uh, flounder sebastian Mm -hmm. there's enough of a costume there that we know exactly who they are without being um cartoon yeah going for the the it's the middle ground to me between like a cartoon and honestly the, the the show that has translated an animated show to a Broadway stage as people best without doing puppets. Mm-hmm. We'll get in later. is SpongeBob.
1: Yes, that Spo- was mm.
0: <clears throat> because it wasn't. It wasn't big costume Pete like in, in in Little Mermaid with tails and and extra arms and that uh, necessarily. I mean Squidward obviously, but. They used shapes of hair and body in that to embody these characters yes. and colors versus, you know, yeah. A So to me, SpongeBob is the most successful. On the other end, we have, like, think your typical full-on costume where it is a crab kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Little Mermaid falls in the middle where... We have elements that have to be, though, like the tails for the mermaids. Mm,
1: but there's, a, there's this idea of suspended disbelief.
0: Yes, we still have the human element in there and we can see it, but we know enough that we can, like you said, suspend our disbelief. Mm-hmm. And again, the color palette and that iridescentness of it and that translucentness and the way that those fabrics and in that interact with the lights mm-hmm. and the, the colors on the set, I mean, it just, it is so tantalizing to the senses. It really is. It creates this really great effect when it all comes together. When you see the the different elements all on their own, they're okay. You put them together. It's like mixing up a fruitcake, and it's great.
1: Yeah. Now, one thing I will say, um, just on the one end, I am not the biggest fan of the way that they did the tails. I get why they did it that way.
0: I think it's because they had to keep them out of the way for them to roll.
1: Right. Well, that's where I, I mean... I've seen a couple of different, like, um, productions of the show where it was not the Broadway version. Um, And I kind of like the idea of a, like, tail gown that is attached to the wrist so that it can be moved during dance numbers. Um, But, you know, that's just me. It just... I guess,
0: though, to be fair, this was the first one at the gate. Exactly. So someone had to go first. Yeah. So now it's been modified. The Heelys was interesting to me because at first I wasn't a fan of it. I was kind of like, this is your answer to underwater. But the more and more I kind of learned about it and once we saw it, I was like, yeah, because I guess you're not going to, you know, water, water is an issue. And the number of shows we've seen that have had water in it, it blows my mind because water really is an issue on stage. Yes. So many things become an issue when you incorporate water. Yes. And, of course, you've got water and tons of electricity running on that stage. It could be a huge issue. So, of course, you're not going to flood the stage with water and try to put performers under the water. And, no, you're not going to do that. So what do you? how do you do that? How do you create that movement? And who's going to go see a show where people are, you know, pretending to swim in that... No, no, this is not the 1960s experimental theater. Exactly. So I thought that was a really clever way to overcome that, that restriction. You know, theater is a man-made craft. We have to overcome those things that in the film industry, they can green screen it. Exactly.
1: Know. Um, the other thing I want to say that I really think, I mean, it does tie into... It's more of a casting thing, mm-hmm. but... Um, what I really appreciate is that the cast is basically it's colorblind casted, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the costumes were able to be these these things that were different, you know what I mean? Like I guess specifically what I'm talking about is Norm Lewis playing King Triton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't inherently like it was it was mermaid. It was it didn't have to be about his race if that makes the any sense. the costumes
0: weren't specific to skin tone
1: yes and that's what i just
0: anybody could step in so a, an, an actor's understudy could be of a different color and the costume would still work
1: yes whereas like there are other shows where that's not necessarily always the
0: case sometimes the color doesn't match with the skin tone or what have you and i'm sure that that might be the case in, in this show but the, not by much yeah you know the the, the crab is going to be red no matter what exactly it is what it is but I mean I I, I agree with you that and we'll get into that topic later last thing I want to say about costumes again is the glow in the dark moments Flotsam and Jetsam and Ursula those costumes that are just oh they really they landed that plane so well it was so clever, because they had this costume that under normal lights was one thing, and then they could change the lighting, and all of a sudden, they were a different character with those beady eyes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, and, it was so clever. But there was clever. still
1: texture to all of it. Yes. It wasn't like blake, blanket <clears throat> color ch- shifts. No. There was different textures in different lighting, and yes. that's something I can really appreciate in a good fabric. Yes.
0: And so while we're, t- you know, to round all this out, we've done the lights, we've done the costumes, we've got to talk about the set. It was... I feel like we always say this, but it was simple, but it was perfect. And it had a great depiction of that underwater world without being like casino-y, over-the-top. Yeah, We're living in a fish tank kind of thing. Little pieces here and there. Like I said, her grotto was like this conch show with like an arch kind of thing. Great, Mm -hmm. we know where we're at.
1: Well, what I really appreciated is um, something about being underwater is you can't see where the limits are. And so, especially we working, didn't have to
0: have these detailed backdrops in the exactly, back. Exactly, yes. but it
1: still felt like the the water just kept going and going and going because there were so many different layers of yes. texture and color and translucent yes. qualities that just kept going.
0: Absolutely, and I also thought that it was a great use of, of color and texture throughout the show. Um, like I've said, it's just it's it's almost like an. Uh, a sensory overload in the best way you really you felt wet yeah I, I don't know how else to feel it. like you felt the sensation of being wet without being wet which was great everything had a sheen to it and everything the way it was curved and the way that it just glistened It just it had this wet feel you felt wet i mean i wouldn't be surprised if they were pu- pumping super humid air into the theater so you felt <laughs> you know what i mean like it it was really smartly designed um, the last thing I'll say, and it was a hit or miss for me. Um, you know, the show starts, or singing "Yoho" or something on a boat. We start up on the boat, and then I remember this sheet, this plastic sheet comes from the ground, goes up, and all of a sudden we're underwater. And I remember thinking, that's how we're going to do this. Right. We're going to well, symbolize the, that the, we're the, underwater. It was
1: really cool in the beginning because the whole ship went up.
0: Right, and but then, then it
1: never did it again.
0: No, this plastic sheet would just come up and down to symbolize that we were going from underwater and to And it wasn't above even land. like a
1: big like drapery sheet. Either. It was like a big piece of plastic wrap, like maybe wrap. like three feet with tiny little waves.
0: So it was, it was a hit and miss for me. Like I got what they were going for, but I also was like, honestly, a set change, and I'm good. I don't need this to understand that we're going from below to above. Like that's.
1: It was a really cool idea at the very first moment of it
0: and then it i think like a uh uh, a uh, see-through like piece of silk or something would have been much more effective but we're gonna go for that don't go so literal Mm -hmm. you can be a little bit more you know it's like that i remember i don't remember who was telling me about romeo and juliet where they performed and when they would stab the person they'd pull out this red fabric to -hmm. show that they've been stabbed and i was like that's clever You don't need a blood packet. That's clever. The audience gets that. You could have taken up this really translucent piece of fabric up and down. We would have understood that, but it needed to be bigger than like three or four feet. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Right. Speaking of the Heelys, I want to talk about the choreography. It was fun and it was clever. I I mean, choreographing a company who's on shoes and wheels at the same time, like that's... Mm-hmm. You've got two elements that you get to work with. That's fun, but also that level, that expectation level is that much higher because it's like, great, so you can do more, you can move more. I expect to see that.
1: Right, well, and I feel like the idea was to add texture to the movement. Yes. And
0: To add another element fluidity. than just clonk, clonk, clonk. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I thought they really accomplished it. Um, you know, there's not a, a ton of huge dance numbers in this show, there's not a, a ton of huge, big numbers. There's a lot of. You know, single or duet numbers. But where there were, they really na- nailed it. I mean, come on, guys. Under the sea. it's Or kiss the girl. Well, I wouldn't call that a big dance number. But it, it that hit the spot. But speaking of uh, hitting the spot, La Poisson. I mean. Uh,
1: that is. It's just. It's an iconic
0: song. It's one of those songs in the theater. When you do it, you can't do it at 50%. You have to go all out. And when you stage it, you have to go all out and then some. And they really did. They, I think they used every inch of that freaking stage. And it was brilliant. And you have to do that. It's comedy and it has to be bigger than life. And they nailed it. They really nailed it. It was so much fun. I remember laughing so hard during that number. And I didn't even remember how much I enjoyed it until later on in my senior year of college. A classmate of mine performed that in one of our classes. And he, again, he went all out. And the song is kind of like mostly in French. And I'm thinking, I've heard the song before, but what the hell is he singing? And I couldn't put it together. And finally someone says, it's the song from Little Mermaid. And I went, oh my God, Yes! I remember now. This is so funny, you know? And I said, what he needed is some other guy out there to play Sebastian to really show. And what I loved is, you know, obviously um, the cook. I can't think of his name now. Chef Louis. Thank you. Chef Louis and and, uh, Sebastian. The actors are basically about the same size. So it's not like in the movie where Sebastian's much smaller, so how are you going to stage that? Again, we're in the theater. We'll suspend our disbelief. Clearly the guy playing a crab is probably supposed to be a lot smaller, but you <laughs> yeah. know what? Titus, but, but that's why it makes Titus it Burgess awesome. is not going to be able to shrink down to three feet. You know? Right,
1: but all the more reason why it's awesome that he's like trying to like duck under and hide under things. Absolutely. And it's just like, you're like, I get what he's doing,
0: but it's funny because he can't. He's too big. And to tie that into choreography, all of those pratfalls and things have to be choreographed. And comedy is timing and it has to be precise. And so I would have loved to see that uh, rehearsed. And, and what made me think of that when I was putting this together is as I was on the TikToks, like the you saw, um, I follow Mrs. Doubtfire, which is coming to Broadway soon. Mm-hmm. And then Rob McClure, I love that guy. That dude is funny and he's brilliant. I, uh, yes, he's he's just fantastic. He's playing um Deathfire. Anyway, watching him rehearse this scene where he's cooking mm-hmm. um, I don't know much about the show yet I mean you know stay tuned because we're seeing it get excited but um when he cooks it's 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 gonna be a number he's and he's it, it, it's a comedy it's a it's a physical comedy number and I'm watching him rehearse this. And it, it's like watching a, a percussionist. One, two, do-ba-jaka, three, four, slam, slam, five, six. It's, a percu- sla- it's percussion mixed with dance. Yeah. And he is rehearsing it like it's the most important thing in the world, but I guarantee when we see it, it's going to be the most outrageous thing in the world. But that's what it takes. And you know there's that choreographer on the side going, perfect, now do it like this. And when he gets in costume, add a little flourish, do 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 take the pans, do this. So... That's where the choreography for me was a win. Whew. Finally, <laughs> I want to talk about the music. It was familiar. It was clever. I didn't think they needed to add much to it. I don't think they really did add much to it. They did. I think that was part of the reason why it didn't see as much success because as we other loved shows.
1: Cause the songs just the way they were. <sighs>
0: And I think they tried to add some stuff that it was like it didn't need it.
1: Well, and, okay, so I'm glad you said that because this isn't technically music-related, but this is plot-related. I appreciate what was done for the plot, but it did not read, and that is purely... um, It didn't read... i elaborate
0: what you mean. I'm in my drink.
1: So, um, they they brought... um, They brought Doug Wright on to adjust the plot to make it more empowering for Ariel to be like, she wants to, you know, she wants to fit into a world where she stands out kind of thing and give her her own like voice. And Mm -hmm. it's more than just her love of a man, but it didn't do that. And it, I don't think that was a lack of trying on Doug Wright's part. I pur- purely believe that it is because the classic tale of The Little Mermaid. Overshadows it. Well, yeah, there's no way unless you change the story plot completely yes. to fix it. That's and the problem that is with because, classic
0: tales, yeah.
1: Right, and that is because the whole basis is that Ariel wants to change for her true love to be with him. Yes. And you can't take that away. You can add all the feminism. You can add all the father and daughter moments. If you don't get rid of Eric, you
0: don't don't get rid of it.
1: Right. And there's no way to, there's no real good way to empower Ariel while
0: keeping this plot. I agree. And, of course, keeping a lot of the music. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's kind of like when they were trying, NBC was trying to do Bye Bye Birdie with Jennifer Lopez in the role of, I can't remember her name, but she's like the adult woman who manages Birdie. Mm-hmm. and but they wanted to make her they wanted to make it less sexist and more focus on her and she's a strong independent woman and I'm like don't do bye bye birdie then right because that's it's not just the, not there yeah the women are chasing the men and I understand that that's a, from a bygone era but mm-hmm. that's the show well, if you're then, gonna change that show you need to write a new show or find another vehicle because that's not this show exactly and you can't completely change a show and they'd be like, yeah, look, we're doing the show. No, you're doing a different show. And that's totally fine, but don't say you're doing this.
1: Right, because I would have loved to see the plot of The Little Mermaid reimagined, rather than trying to keep the classic tell and
0: just empower it. See, and I think that change, plus the couple of songs they added, I think that's what took it from being red hot to lukewarm. Ex- and, and again, I don't want to, I do not want to Put the show get, put, down yeah, at all. Yeah, I, I don't want anyone out there who's hearing this to get the idea that the show was bad. Because it wasn't. Believe me, we have seen some doozies out there that I'm like, and looking it, at my watch, being like, how much longer? It, this was a show that I genuinely enjoyed. I would go back and see it again. Well,
1: and it's a, there was a valiant effort made to make it progressive as well as classic.
0: Yeah, but when The Bar is one of Disney's most successful animated feature films, The Little Mermaid... You know, the the deck is already sacked against you. They did great for what they did. Not to mention the things that they were up against that season that existed on Broadway. You know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was an uphill battle the entire way and I thought they did great. And, and I very- would I'm sure Disney's gonna reapproach this again at another time. When it's now that the technology has improved in that, and I can't wait to see what they do, because it wasn't a a a huge fail on their part at all. It's
1: just, I mean, the show as is is great for regional theaters and community theaters to put on because it's fun, it's familiar.
0: And we'll get to that
1: right, but later. But the main thing I just wanted to focus on is I can appreciate the uh, Doug Wright's effort in trying to modernize it not necessarily modernize it but empower ariel yeah but it missed the mark and it's not his fault yeah it is the story's fault i feel that now the show has several notable cast members including sierra bodges uh sherry renee scott norm lewis titus burgess derek baskin cicely daniels we hey what's cicely. up we love you um heidi Bleckenstaff and faith prince
0: So let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. So, theater, theatrical impact, it, like I said uh, earlier, it's the fourth Disney production Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Tarzan, now we've got Little Mermaid. So, okay. it's clearly establishing as if we needed to clearly establish, but Disney. As
1: a player, as in a the Broadway,
0: film. Bro- it's here to stay. Right. Um, but
1: I think also this was Disney's attempt to try to recreate.
0: Another world.
1: Well, no, I think that this was uh, Disney trying to reclaim the success of The Lion King, like trying to strike lightning twice. Yes, but it didn't quite go that way for them. I mean, it was still successful, just not on the same scale.
0: Yes, I completely agree. I brought the underworld world, underwater world, to the stage again. Precursor to SpongeBob. Well, yeah, but we hadn't seen this yet in the theater, and I thought what a great place to go. Mm-hmm. I love when shows take us to a place that we, we didn't think was possible or, or we haven't been. I mean, it's great to go see the two-bedroom apartment or, you know, but it's great when a show can take us somewhere that we didn't think we could go, somewhere fantasyful, if you will, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, they have that Disney magic. Whether right. whether a show, whether a Disney show is super successful or not is is not the point. There is Disney magic in it because I guarantee you, nobody else is going to be able to figure out The Little Mermaid. Oh, no. Or be able to afford
1: to do what they did.
0: They came up with the plan. They executed it. And it, it, everything read. We understood what was going on. And there's a reason the show played as long as it did. Mm-hmm. There's a reason the show is still being done. It is that Disney magic. As much as they're taking over the world and we like to hate them, <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: they've got, they're, well, they're, they're
0: successful for a reason. You know,
1: yeah, well, and I mean, and I mean, we could spend a whole podcast just talking about this concept of Disney magic. what is it um you know, you know but the the
0: different I will say the difference of Disney magic on screen and on stage and in their theme park is ridiculous because like I feel like in the theme park, it's tried, tested, and approved. They've mm-hmm. got it down to a science before it's revealed, but on stage, it's a gamble. you got to try to figure out, but you've got this amount of time, and you've got to hurry and do it, because it's every, well, you've only got this much time to make that investment worthwhile.
1: Yes, but also, the um, parks, people go to wanting to just 100% throw themselves into the Disney magic. At the theater, you have to give them Disney magic without them being on your side necessarily.
0: Because not everyone's going to the theater for Disney magic. Some people are just going for the... Yeah. So the the, the Disney magic in the theater is on a whole nother level. They should be applauded for that because... There's a reason you get chills when you hear the start of Lion King. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why you hear the opening chords of Under the Sea and you get excited because you know you're about to see something really great.
1: Right. Well, and I still think, like, when in my mind, when I get excited, I can hear Titus Burgess's, like,
0: That, uh, burn. yeah, his little riff. Under the Sea. Yes, I hear that in my yeah. mind.
1: And I'm not even the biggest Disney fan, but I hear that. Yeah. I, it's like, yeah, that I'm going to get excited about. Yeah. I also may have just did the Fiddler on the Roof Yeah,
0: I was over here, I was here like, we're not up. traditioning this. <laughs> but, Easy now. You know,
1: it's fine.
0: Calm down, Golda. As for societal impacts, look, I know that I say this in every show, but it brought a whole new generation to the theater. I think we can
1: agree to disagree about that <laughs> because I don't think that it brought a whole new it generation It was another
0: in- generation's Lion King.
1: How about we say this? It helped inspire the next generation of theater goers to come to the theater. I could
0: also agree to that, but the other things, reason why I say that is it brought even more kids to the theater. And the reason why I say that is I think back to, I can't think of her name, but she won the Tony for her performance in August, Osage County. And in the middle of her uh, acceptance speech, she goes... Um, you know, and I, I want to thank my nephew and niece who just think of me as Aunt something. They don't even care about this. They don't know, they really don't. All they wanted was tickets to Little Mermaid. And I got them. You know, <laughs> there were kids out there that they didn't care about some of these. I don't want to say they weren't age appropriate shows, but that's really what they were. Well, uh, and this th- gave them an uh, access to Broadway.
1: I think that this established.
0: Broadway the seed. well
1: I think this also established Broadway as being a family-friendly place for entertainment because for the most part you could go and see like you wouldn't you wouldn't dream of bringing like a 7-year-old to the theater really before unless you were from the area. You know what I mean? Whereas like as soon as you started getting Beauty and the Beast, and Lion King, and yes, Tarzan. but I wouldn't and say that Little the, Mermaid
0: established it. I'd say no, Disney did.
1: Disney established it, but this established a pattern and a culture
0: that yeah, they could invest into. Because I'll say it seems like there's always one or two shows that are family-friendly. And they try
1: to make a Christmas one as well, and yeah. it's because people are trying to be like, hey... It used to be that you could just, as an adolescent and the adults, go to the theater. But look, it is a place for children to come and experience the wonder of storytelling for magic okay. on theater.
0: Finally, is the show relevant? I think the show is perfect for regional, community, or even high school youth theater.
1: The as story Broadway, plot is not
0: relevant. As for Broadway, I'm not sure there's a need or a place for right now. However... On the other hand, as we emerge from the pandemic and in an effort to get audiences back to the Great White Way, this could be a great show to mount, you know, to bring all kinds of people back to the theater.
1: I don't think this show should be performed on Broadway again. I don't think it should be revived. And that's purely because of substance. And here's the thing. Like. I think that there's a time and a place for all stories to be told. And I think that the story of The Little Mermaid is to get the average person to get out and go see theater. So this show needs to be performed in every single county and every single state to get people to go out and see the theater and know that it's safe to return. But a Broadway audience is an elevated platform.
0: Oh, see, I don't know. I think this could be used for a great... Lack of a better term, cash cow, at a time when we but I don't need think that, that at a time. A cash cow well, right no, now. at a time right now where Broadway is struggling financially, coming out of being shut down for over eighteen months. I think every show is going. We are, we are, we are steering the boat away for the next year or two away from art for art's sake and closer to what can fill the theater up so we can recoup losses or make a safe bet. But I don't and think that unf- this is that show. I think it will bring. Broadway is going to have to reopen with two things in mind. What's going to be the most safe investment and what can benefit the city the most? And one of the things is it'll draw a lot of tourists because a lot of people will come to New York to see a certain show. And I think they'll be less likely to come see like an Angels in America and more likely to see a Little Mermaid. That being said, I would rather there is a list of other shows I think could attract an audience from the Midwest or something than The Little Mermaid. I think it does just fine doing the regional circuit or the national tour circuit.
1: I, th- I-, I could get on board with this doing a national tour to get people to go out, but the reason why I'm going to say I don't think that this should be the cash cow on Broadway and it is purely because if this sets up shop as a cash cow, how long do we keep milking it?
0: That is and- a really good point.
1: And I don't think we can milk this till the cows come home. Just not in the cow reference. Just not on Broadway. (laughs) Off Broadway, yes. Well I don't think
0: I don't think there's an off Broadway theater big enough to support this. That's the thing is it's either gotta be Broadway or nothing.
1: Right, but I think that it needs to be touring, and it needs to be in every county, every state, but I don't think I, it should be on Broadway. I wanted to
0: mention one of the places it's had the most success is actually here in Utah, mm-hmm. down at this theater in southern Utah called Tuacon, and one of the cool things, and probably the reason why it's had such good success, is at the Tuacon Theater down in St. George, Utah, it's a beautiful theater set. Um, with the backdrop of the Red Rocks of Southern Utah, but they can actually flood their stage. They yeah. have the ability to flood their stage, and they were able to do that and create, literally use the element of water for their stage, which is really cool. And I think that's what really, because after, was it after I came, that, what? ah, well, after it closed on Broadway, the first production, to, regional production to be able to do it was on at Tuacon. And it was a huge success. And I remember people seeing it and they're like, Oh my gosh, it was amazing. It was life changing. And I was like, Did we see the same show? Because
1: But that's why we need to get it to the average theater goer, not I, the elevated Broadway. I don't audience. like to
0: call I don't like to make a difference between the average theater goer and the elevated Broadway. It makes it sound snobbish. I think and I don't mean the it Broadway in a snobbish theater way. is accessible to everyone. It is. Unless you're doing some like Abstract Pinter like. No, but here's the thing the average
1: theater goer is not going to travel away from their home area to go see theater. That's Whereas fair. Whereas Broadway theaters, listen, even though we joke about it all the time, traveling from Jersey to New York is still a, is a, still a, um, not, what's the word? It's I want? still a
0: trip. It still, it still takes time to get there. But yeah. I will say, Given the fact that it's been eighteen months, like I would walk the thirty-seven hundred miles from Salt Lake City to New York City just to go see theater right now. I now look and you're a theater lover. Look in a few months. In a few months, I don't know that that would be the same thing. I might miss that plane seat all of a sudden. But I get what you're saying. Like, it, it, if people are going to invest in the time and the travel to get there, it's gonna have to be something that really is worth. Because of course, when you travel, you've also possibly got to get a hotel. Mm-hmm. And then there's a Because the a New York
1: audience is not gonna go see The Little Mermaid more than once.
0: Absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. That's that. The only time they'd see it more than once is if Aunt. Aunt Franny and Uncle Fred came in from town. Which are the average
1: theater goers, and they're not going to come out unless they have a reason. I still
0: don't like that term, but I'll, I'll agree to disagree.
1: Finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show.
0: So I've seen the show once on Broadway in 2009. And I was there with him.
1: So we both saw it together. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Is this the first show we're talking about that we've seen together? Like, I mean... mean, Just together. Yeah.
1: I was like, yeah, because all the other ones that we've experienced together, we may not have been our first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we saw them without me.
0: So... I, I mean, I remember we sat in the orchestra.
1: Okay, so real talk. I feel so guilty saying this, and I'm going to confess my sins to you guys. This was the first show we saw after arriving early in the morning. Was it? Yeah. We arrived early in the morning about 6 a.m., didn't get into our hotel room until Four, had to quickly change and then go see the show so we hadn't had a
0: nap no 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 no, no. we, did, we saw this as a matinee we saw this as a matinee
1: okay well yeah. either way
0: i you fell asleep is what i protesting. fell asleep during the show i was gonna say we ran ragged that's why i remember we were running ragged this is back in the day this is your first trip to new york because mm-hmm. my mom was there oh high school hope my mom was there, um, but we—I remember this was when we were showing. Oh, this
1: wasn't. This was the next day, and I yeah, still was we were jet showing lagged. you.
0: We were showing you the sit. No, no, this is two days later because we flew out right after the Tony Awards. Uh huh. And this Avenue was the Wednesday. And then the next. No, you. Yes. Because Avenue Q yeah. is my first Broadway show. Um, but yeah, we we were running you ragged. You had done just all this touristy stuff and
1: woke up way too early for yeah. a human yeah. who's on vacation.
0: So, but I remember sitting in the orchestra. It was nice. I remember tons of kids, which mm-hmm. we expected.
1: I remember the French seaside being kind of painted and inspired in the chandeliers on the wall. I was gonna, I tiles. was just
0: about to say I was the the cool thing about the Lumfantine is they uh like extended the set out into the theater, and that was cool because the next time we went to the Lumfantine, which I believe was for the Adams family, yeah, it was completely different. I remember us showing up and being like hold on, this isn't what it looked like. <laughs> like and then it was even oh, more different it.
1: when we went for Motown. Yeah,
0: and so um, I remember being super colorful, which was amazing. Um, and, and the last thing, which I think was just amazing, was Titus Burgess. I remember Titus Burgess till the cows came home, back to cows. He was so amazing.
1: Did we meet Cicely at this point? I think
0: we did. I'd have to go back and look at our pictures. Friends out there, if you follow us on Facebook, we have tons of pictures of people we've met from past casts on our Facebook. But I bet if I went back and I looked through, I'd probably have a picture with her because everybody that sent our playbill, we've basically gotten a picture with.
1: Right. Well, so, okay, the thing we need to let you know is um, Cicely Daniels, we actually, well, I actually got to be her dresser when she came back and performed in Newsies at Pioneer
0: Theater. And I, the way I got to know her is backstage, I was the dresser for Jack. Uh-huh. Um, the lead, lead of Newsies. But then that was when they had that special election in Alabama Yeah, that Doug Jones, I think his name was. Oh, anyway, no the guy way. that defeated that creepy pedophile guy in Alabama, that evil dude, Roy Moore, the guy that beat him. Anyway, um, there was that special election, and her and I got close because she'd come off stage, and she'd be like, how's the election going? And it was my job to update her.
1: <laughs> right, she's but a she's, she's a sweetheart. She is like more than willing to share any of her advice and life experiences. And I just, the thing that really got to me about meeting her and her beautiful soul was I had told her I had aspirations to want to work on Broadway and to kind of make this my main career, my main living. And she just said, do it, do it. You have the drive, you have the dream, and go for it. And
0: she's, yeah.
1: Uh, it just, it still holds a special place in my heart. We
0: got to see her again in Once on This Island, which was uh, incredible. Yes. We'll, I can't wait to talk about that show. But she is just one of those few people in the world that's so genuine and so wonderful. And, and we so, wish her nothing but the best.
1: Right. But it's just kind of crazy to think back on my life and think that even though we didn't officially meet, Our paths may have crossed before. I
0: love those. I've met so many actors and worked with so many actors that when they've told me, like, oh, I've done this, this, and this, I've been like, I I think I've actually met you. Like, back to the Newsies thing, the guy that played Jack in our production of Newsies actually was in Bandstand. Yep. And I was like, oh, my gosh, because I was raving about Bandstand. He's like, well, you know I was in that show. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) We've met. (laughs) So. Right. As things begin to return to normal and the theater world starts to turn its lights back on, we look forward to returning to see the show again.
1: You'll be able to catch The Little Mermaid, I'm sure, somewhere at a theater near you. I've made my point on this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'd also like to give a quick update on the reopening of Broadway.
1: Welcome to Broadway, the cast of Is This a Room, now playing at the Lyceum Theater.
0: Truth. Beauty, freedom, love. All of this has returned eight times a week at the Al Hirschfeld Theater as Moulin Rouge returns.
1: Now playing at the Netherlander Theater, direct from a sold-out run in London, the Lehman Trilogy.
0: You only need one of your three wishes to see the show returning to the new Amsterdam Theater. Welcome back to the cast of Aladdin. We are so excited that Broadway is turning its lights back on and can't wait to share in the magic of the Great White Way.
1: We will be sharing special episodes when we return to New York City in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. Oh.
0: (laughs) So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez.
1: And I'm Hope Bird.
0: Reminding you to turn off your cell phones.
1: Unwrap your candies.
0: And keep talking about the theater.
1: In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by John Botman, Uncle Bibby, David Mumford, and Billy Murray.